All right, so Matthew chapter 13. Do you have ears to hear? It's one of my favorite sayings of Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, we all have ears. And the question is, if we really hear. And so let me uh, give us some orientation on this text. First, remember that at the front of this text and at the end of this text, there's a section, these two stories that bookend about people that are close to Jesus but don't seem to perceive him. A messenger comes and says, Jesus, your family's outside. Your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, who is my mother and my brother but the one who does the will of my father? And then at the end of this section, he goes to his hometown and his hometown crowd all says, this is Joseph's boy. This is Mary's kid. His siblings are here. Where, Where does he get this stuff? And they balk and they don't receive Jesus. He's close to them. He's very close to them, but they don't see. They don't see who he is and they can't hear what he has to say. So these two stories frame this chapter 13 with this idea of people close and familiar not really seeing what is close and familiar to them. And chapter 13 is the parable chapter of Matthew. There are a few parables in other places, but Matthew gathers up all the parables and all of the teachings that Jesus gives on parables into Matthew chapter 13. And it's very important to read the book. And I hope, I want to just give a plug for at least once a week, try to read through the whole gospel. Uh, it really helps to understand the flow of the gospel and to notice that before chapter 13, intensification and resistance to Jesus has grown and grown. Remember, he's given those very hard words to the towns that he spent the most time in. Uh, he's had very hard things to say to the, to the Jewish leadership that has been resisting him and, as we know, deciding to plot to kill him. Now, Jesus gives these parables, and I think that we often think Jesus gives parables because they're great illustrations. After all, they're images, and everybody can relate to them, and that's why he does it, to be helpful in communicating what he has to say. But I want to suggest, especially here in Matthew, Jesus' parables are acts of judgment. All right? They are a sword that is meant to, defi- to divide his hearers between those who want to hear and those who don't. All right? they're, they're accomplishing something as Jesus preaches. Jesus, by the way, notice his response when people don't want to follow, them, follow him. He doesn't, go, he doesn't beg them to follow him. He's not, he doesn't seem surprised. He doesn't seem upset. He simply gathers those who will and works with them because as the parable indicates, he knows he can do miraculous thing with a very small amount of those who are willing to hear him. So Jesus knows that with that small group of disciples, he can do great things. So these parables are dividing the hearers. Uh, Those who listen to argue with Jesus, like the scribes or the Pharisees, those who are there simply because of the spectacle, because, wow, the miracles and and the crowd. I mean, people love crowds. Those he's making dark. He's hiding things. But to those who want to learn, to his disciples, he's opening things up and revealing things. So the parables are puzzles. They're not clear on first reading. We know what the parable of the sower means because we have the explanation. But keep in mind, the crowds didn't have the explanation. It was his disciples that had the explanation. The crowds hear them, probably, and maybe they 
do this, like we knew this guy, or maybe, they, uh, maybe they're angry or confused, but they don't go away with knowledge because their motive isn't there to really learn from Jesus and be his students. Notice the way, and we didn't read it tonight, but if you notice the way that this is described, Jesus goes out of the house and he goes and sits along the sea and there's big crowds and he speaks to them. And then later it says that he goes into the house and his disciples come and ask him about the parable. It's the coming to Jesus. It's asking him what his teachings mean. Those are the people he reveals mysteries to. So they say, why do you teach in parables? Basically, they're saying, Jesus, why don't you teach more clearly? We've heard you teach clearly, the criticism of his sermons. We've heard you teach clearly, but why are you teaching in parables? And he says, because I'm revealing mysteries to the people who want to follow me, who want to be my students. And he blesses their eyes. He says, blessed are your eyes and blessed are your ears. And again, everybody saw Jesus, but only a few people really saw his significance and really heard what he had to say. In the central chapter, he gives 13 parables. Excuse me, he gives seven parables. Um, And I'm just going to treat tonight the parable of the sower and just a little bit about it. And the big question I would suggest of this whole section is, do you understand Jesus? Do you have ears to hear what he has to say? The question is, and this word, if you'll note, do you understand? Have you understood these things? That word understand will repeat significantly through this stretch of scripture. Who understands Jesus and his teaching? Many people are hearing him. Many people are seeing the great miracles he did. Not many are really understanding Jesus. He only reveals himself to those who want to hear from him. And as I said, notice the disciples come to him in the house to ask, explain the parable to us. And he says, to you has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But those outside are left in the dark. And as Jesus says repeatedly in this section, this sword is dividing. And those who refuse to be his students are going to be left out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But those who understand, Jesus says, will shine like the sun. They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So I just want to highlight some ways in which how we how can we understand if we want to understand Jesus? How can we understand based on some of the text of the central chapter of Matthew? The first thing I would say is this. Don't just enjoy hearing Jesus talk. Become his student. Don't just enjoy being familiar with scripture. Go to Jesus and find out what it means so that he can help you put it into practice. Jesus said in chapter 11 that the secrets of the kingdom are hidden from the wise and intelligent. And by that, he means the religious experts. But he said, Father, I thank you that they're revealed to children. Children are those who have humbled themselves and said, Jesus, you know what's going on. You know about life. You are the master of everything, and I want to be your student. They humble themselves and become his students. So I would say that's the most important thing. Maybe we could end the sermon there. You know I won't, but that's what I want to say, is that the way to understand Jesus is to become his student and to say, Jesus, what do your words mean here? I don't understand them. I want to understand them so that I can live them. Will you teach me and will you help me live them? 
The second thing I would say is come into the house and ask him to explain. I really do think that expression all through Matthew, the house, is not just incidental. I think it's thematic for the book. The house signifies the place where his disciples gather to hear him. I think it signifies the house of God. I think it signifies the church. And I don't think it's insignificant that we meet in homes. Both the church and when we meet in homes and home groups are places where primarily we're saying, what is the Lord saying? What do his words mean? And how do they connect with our lives? And how can we, by his grace, live out what he has to teach us? The disciples came to him in the house. And that's what church is ultimately about, that we come and gather around Jesus so that he can teach us and share a meal with us. The third thing I would say is that we pray for protection from the evil one. Notice in the parable of the sower, it is the evil one who comes and snatches the word away from some people. And when you pay attention to what Jesus says about the evil one in Matthew, remember that in the prayer he taught us to pray, he says, pray, deliver us from from evil. A better translation or another translation is deliver us from the evil one. It's an awareness that what happens in life isn't just a matter of our choices and our circumstances and our genes, but there is an evil one out there. And Jesus teaches us to pray. God, deliver us from the one who would thwart your word in our lives. Save us from the one who would hinder us from bearing the fruit that you want you want us to bear. The fourth thing I would say is that if you're going to be a, a student of Jesus, you have to prepare for difficulty and opposition. All right, again, in the parable of the sower, he says that uh, a certain, certain seed falls and it doesn't have much root. It springs up immediately. But when difficulty and persecution arise, because they have no root, they wither up and dry. Jesus has just been teaching in chapters 11 and 12, that, in chapters, excuse me, 10 in particular, that opposition is inevitable. In fact, it's the the environment of the, the Christian mission. And I think sometimes Christians get, get, maybe because we've had cultural prevalence for so long, and it seems like we're entering a time when Christians won't have that prevalence, we're spoiled by the fact that there's churches everywhere and there has been familiarity with Christianity. But Jesus says the norm for the mission is opposition. The norm is difficulty. And if you're not prepared for that, you're not prepared to be my disciple. Expect those things. They're the water that disciples swim in. If you're learning, by the way, if you're learning anything worth learning, anything worth learning that's hard to learn, there will be a lot of difficulty. There will be a lot of failures. There will be a lot of challenges. And it's the same for discipleship to Jesus. And I would just refer to Kelly's sermons on James Find, consider it all joy when you face difficulties of many kinds. Greet it like a friend. This is a part of the discipleship process. And it will make your roots go deeper when you find difficulty and opposition because you're a disciple of Jesus. The next thing I would say is that Jesus warns us about worry and the deceitfulness of riches. He warns us about worry and the deceitfulness of riches. He's already taught on worry. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry. And he gives tools to his his disciples for not worrying. And I would say the primary tool he gives is, is your heart and mind and thoughts fixed on the terrible things about your circumstances? Is that your default? 
Or is your default the goodness of your father? Learn to let your heart be a well-tended place where the main theme and the main song and the main, the main thing that you put on repeat is the goodness of your father. That is how you fight worry. We are to have well-tended hearts where we have learned from Jesus to banish worry and fear. He also warns here about riches and the deceitfulness of riches. And if we gather together some of the things that Jesus has already said about riches, he says, remember, it is very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is very difficult. And I know that we've often heard that, you know, there was a gate where they had a camel and the camel had to kneel down. And that's why that's baloney. Any engineer would have been like, we got to change this gate. All right. Or take the camel somewhere else. Jesus really does mean it's like a camel, big animal going through a little needle. Right. It's almost impossible. Jesus tells us not to set our hearts on wealth. Notice at the end of the gospel, the, the message seems to be Judas could be bought by wealth. And the, leader of the, the leaders of the people of God were willing to use money to bear false witness about the most important thing that ever happened. Right, the warnings about money, and note, it's deceitfulness. It's ability to trick us are all over the book of Matthew. We have to have a right relationship to money, Jesus says, or worry or money will come and choke out the word of God and the teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Next, we have to, if we're going to understand, if we're going to be those who understand, we have to trust the hidden, patient power of the kingdom of God. Notice there's several parables about the hiddenness of it. A woman puts leaven in bread. And it, over time, does what it does. Or the seed that is sown that's the smallest of seed and it becomes, Jesus says, this tree, the mustard tree. Both of those things hint at or or point to hiddenness. The working of God, the working of the kingdom of God, not being something that's spectacular. Something that looks like success as we might define success. I think Jesus is telling us not to give in to the temptation to demand the spectacular, to demand success along certain terms. The kingdom works like leaven, slowly, hiddenly, but ultimately bears fruit. Jesus is saying the kingdom will often not look like much to you, just like Jesus didn't look like much to people, just like we don't look like much to people, no offense. But Jesus says, you are my disciples. You will shine in the kingdom of your father like the sun. Finally, the last thing I would say is that about understanding is that in the parable of the the treasure hidden in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price, both of those parables highlight several things. Number one, the preciousness of the thing that they found. The preciousness of the pearl, the preciousness of the treasure. In the parable of the treasure, it's hidden in a field. Apparently, who owns the field doesn't know it's there or doesn't appreciate that it's there. But Jesus is saying, being my student is the best offer that you've ever been given in life. And those who see it, those who taste it, those who find that, they're willing to give up anything to continue in that. They're willing to give up anything to be a part of that. 
It's worth more than all your property, being a student of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified, raised again, coming to judge the living and the dead. That man who, who bought that field rejoiced to sell everything he sold. He rejoiced because he was convinced of the worth of what he found. Finally, at the end of this whole section, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, again, do you understand? Have you understood everything that I've said? And they say, yes. And for once, it's kind of remarkable because often the disciples don't understand. He doesn't say, no, you don't. He says, therefore, every discipled scribe. All right, now I'm going to use that translation. Every fully trained scribe is like a man who brings treasure old and new out of his house. So let me say a few things about this. Who understands? Well, the disciples. The ones who've said, I want to say yes to this man's invitation. I want to follow this man wherever he goes. I want to learn from him how to live. He knows what is going on. Matthew is drawing our attention to two kinds of scribes. A scribe is a, a lawyer, an expert, a theologian. And we've seen the scribes the, the scribes that uh, were allied with Herod, we've seen the scribes that are opposing Jesus. They're experts. They have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they hanker after political power. They hanker after social acceptance. The other kind of scribes, Jesus is now describing his disciples as scribes. You are scribes, guys, and you're actually the real McCoy. You're the, the kind of scribe I'm looking for. Jesus has had and will have more very harsh things to say to the religious types that resist him, to the experts in religion that resist him. But he has great help and great kindness for those who say, Lord, I don't know. Will you teach me? Will you be my disciple? Will you show me how to live, Jesus? Will you show me how to be whatever I need to be? And notice that he says that these, the fully trained scribes, brings treasure out. That treasure has been a theme all throughout Matthew. Again, think about it. Where is your treasure? Don't let your treasure be in things that can be taken away from you and therefore break your heart. Let your treasure be in things that can never be taken away from you, namely the praise of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has said what comes out of your heart is like you have this treasury and what comes out of your mouth is the fruit of what is in your heart and what you treasure in your heart. And it is that that comes out of your heart that makes you clean or unclean. What you treasure is who you are, Jesus would say. And now he says these, these fully trained scribes, these discipled scribes, they bring out treasures old and new. I think there's a number of things going on here. Jesus came and he took the old, the law, and he fulfilled it by explaining it, what it always meant, by giving his disciples ways that they can go far beyond just the bare minimum of the law, but live lives that fulfill it. He himself acted all of those things out, and now he is showing his disciples how to do the same. They're called to do what he does in the Sermon on the Mount and what he did in his life. And of course, we will always be students this side of heaven. We will always be learning this side of heaven. But he's holding forth here as an example, disciples who are fully trained, who are doing what he does, who bring out the treasures of the old. And I think this refers to the old covenant, but talks about and understands and lives in and applies how those things are fulfilled in Jesus' life and in his ministry. 
They're the treasure. This is the treasure of being a disciple of Jesus, the treasure of living life well, the treasure of fully understanding what he was about. And may we be disciples of Jesus. May we fully understand his teachings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand up and we'll come to the Lord's table.